your site can be a complete and total turd. Your brand can suck. If your site speed is good, you are going to have a good conversion. I can't remember the exact number, but it's like every extra second it takes to load your conversion drops 8%. On lower internet connections, like shitty internet connections, they're not just not having a good experience. They're not ever seeing your site because they're sitting there for four seconds, five seconds, and then they're just like, fuck this. And they swipe the, the window away. Yeah, they don't even, they've never even seen your logo before. All right, folks, we're back for another episode of Ad Spend, but you might see a non-familiar face, but better looking, and he doesn't have a water bottle he's going to drink out of every 30 seconds. Sean Brandt, co-founder of Audit, fantastic, my Canadian crusher. He's uh, one of my favorite people. Uh, he's actually been on the podcast on You Are Not Your Row as our other sister show, um, and we're going to go deep into some really cool CRO stuff. Ash has some really cool things that he's been doing on his site for my Avi, and he's going to cross-reference that with the master, um, Sean. And then Ash, as always, welcome. Thank you for actually coming onto the show. Cody's in the Bahamas somewhere, hitting golf balls, playing pickleball, living his life. When we're here grinding it out, you know what I mean? We're we're doing the work, and this guy's just over here riding our coattails. Ash, unbelievable, unbelievable. I know, right? I know. How dare he? How dare he enjoy his life? Doesn't he know he has podcasts to do? Um, so yeah, Ash, why don't you just jump right in with some of the kind of CRO stuff that you've been doing and then we'll bounce it off of Sean and then we can kind of go from there. Absolutely. Um, so I think the whole premise of like the podcast and what we kind of started with was media buying and what's working on Facebook, TikTok, this and that, right? I think at the very core for all of that to work and like, you know, be able to kind of function and, you know, bring in customers, your conversion rate is the most important thing, Right. Um, so I I know we kind of touched upon this in the last few podcasts, but the biggest thing for us, you know, has always been trying to figure out how to boost our conversion rate on our landing pages. Right. Um, so, you know, what we ended up doing is, you know, we created maybe like four to five different styles of landing pages just to get a theme that kind of works. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, then you start, you know, split testing different things with the banners, positioning of certain elements um you know maybe the sizing of the buy boxes and stuff like that um we figured out a formula that kind of works for us and you know what we've seen on our website is that even though i would say a majority of the traffic is new traffic coming to the website half of the conversions happen on the landing page and the rest happen on the website so on our end what we started to see was is that the landing page, people are coming, whatever, they're checking it out, and we have our nav on there, right? We've kind of tested with and without, um, with the nav kind of, you know, did better. But what we're seeing is is that not only do you have to worry about your landing page, but it's that experience where people are like, okay, well, I want to kind of go and learn about the brand before I kind of commit, mm-hmm. and they end up going to the home page and things like that, right? So a lot of, like, I mean, it's not, it's not a ton of analysis that you have to do but you have to look at the the stages of the funnel right so it's like viewing the product actually adding to cart getting to checkout and like completing that checkout right so like looking at those different inner funnel metrics um Mm -hmm. and i'm sure sean you can kind of talk a little bit more into this later but at a over like overview if one of those things is off you know fixing it and tightening up just a little bit can literally drastically change your conversion rate so what we saw was is that Half of the traffic was converting on our landing page. The other half is going to the homepage and then buying from there, right? 
but that funnel wasn't set up right properly right we kind of built the homepage in mind with like retention but we weren't we weren't building it for new customers in mind um mm-hmm. so what we ended up doing is you know split testing things like the homepage um you know do we go straight product do we tell a story um and then another thing that we saw was like people were buying off of collection pages instead of product pages right so it's like do we optimize collection pages now and product pages so those are those are the few things that i think people need to like really understand and kind of take up the take a look at their data and like first off where's that drop off and then what are the certain things that you can kind of like tinker with right so i think sean maybe you know that might segue into maybe something you guys want to or you want to maybe speak about and, and what things people yeah. should look at and you know tinker with yeah, I think that's super interesting. Like, I, and it's a really good point. A lot of, a lot of brands we work with um, on the audit side and on the cool and performance marketing side, they're driving traffic to a paid marketing or, or sorry, a paid landing page or a paid landing page to a product landing page, and it's really set up to be shopped there. And they're not really considering that flow after if the consumer's like, okay, it's it's giving me just enough to be interested, and now I'm going to go to their website, and then that flow is not optimized, and it that that flow of a user like you said half of your sales like that that flow is it's a really long one right like that's they're going through two full websites to get to a a purchase so optimizing that is it's really not easy and i think products like yours that have had a you know you've got a footing in the market you have some tremendous success and so like to your point your your homepage is much more focused on let's just get p- products in people's hands and a little bit less about storytelling than a new brand will and i think where where the a lot of brands miss the mark there um is is just finding a little more balance there right they're just kind of inundating you with the product 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 and forgetting that you know while while the brand may be popular and 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 kind of out there and everyone knows it all these new users coming through your landing page don't. So you kind of, you have to inject those little story pieces. Um, one of the things that we've seen working like the best lately um, in terms of content is, is just like surfacing real users using the product and, and pulling UGC directly into your home, into your homepage, like as high in the, in the funnel as possible. Um, like even above a press bar and like some of the more common shit that you're seeing, you know, that's just every site has it now. I think this isn't a, a you know a data driven response, but I think my reasoning for why it's performing so well versus let's say a press bar or you know even just a standard review panel is that we were talking about this in the audit club last week. Press bars have just become so common that there's no brands that don't have them, and so you kind of sit back and you're like, okay, well, there's not more publications writing more articles. These people are just buying these fucking logos or they're lying about it, right? So. They've you started lying to, lo- to it at a point. Yeah, they're just they start to lose their value because no. are they are they true or are they not? And so, I think by pulling up UGC, you're kind of leveling up and saying, okay, well, these are real people talking about our products that have really had an effect on them, and it just has a more powerful effect than some of that. That's not to say that like you know trust elements like that, like press and reviews, don't, won't be effective. But I think the more that the the D2C space is evolving and growing and there's just so much competition in every product, including your space, like that those more authentic reviews just become so powerful for storytelling. And in a brand like yours, where your homepage is really product focused, it allows you to like pull in a really simple brand story without adding 
10 cross sections to your homepage that just clutter it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have is because we have such a diverse product line, right? So it's like, where do you put emphasis? Do you put it just on your top sellers? Do you, you know, tell the story of like, all right, well, we have something for your entire lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think we've tried to kind of get away from showcasing everything so that it's not confusing or it's like a lot of people in our community, you know, when they join without buying and they're kind of asking questions for the first time, a lot of the questions are, where do I start? Right. Mm-hmm, so, right. you know, maybe going, I, I think one of the biggest things that we included, um, on the homepage now is that a bestsellers, um, mm-hmm item in the nav right i think mm-hmm. a lot of people start funneling down into there then they see like okay well all right now i know these are the top sellers let me just stick with that or let me try that first right mm-hmm. and then also maybe including a quiz somewhere on the homepage, which i think we're, we're lo- we just launched the a b test on the homepage completely like uh you know a is our control with what we have right now and b is a little bit more of that storytelling um but then also including a quiz uh including store locator because you know starting picking up in retail. Um, so like being able to maybe direct people in, in that the direction of like, okay, maybe go for the flagship versus here's everything is probably the route that we're going to start going in. Um, but I think it, it, it's tough. I mean, I don't know if, if you've seen brands with, you know, a larger like, you know, line, how do they, how do they showcase everything? Or maybe the, the goal is to not do that. You know, what have, what have you seen? there yeah i i find that the you you, what the strategy you're taking right now is probably the right move which is focus more on bestsellers and whatever you know what your existing and past customers have really went for position that for your users i think you have a really solid brand and like overall your aesthetic your tone of voice kind of every element of your your i guess brand ecosystem is really tight and so getting a new user to buy into like a product that's the best seller that they're going to have more, I guess, peers around them using it and feedback and everything like that. I think you're, you're going to get them into the brand ecosystem and then you can start selling them more products. So for me, it's definitely a, a matter of like, what is that, what is that product hierarchy in, in the obvi brand of saying, okay, well, here's, here's the, if you come to the site and, and they're going to scroll in every section that they scroll to, you have drop off, right? That first section, what's the product where it's like, we have to make sure they see this. And then this one is a little less important than this one's a little less important. I and that. I think you you can't do it one by one, right? Your, your catalog's too diverse, but you could do it category by category, right? Um, right. I, I, I think that's super important because it, you know, you, your best sellers speak for themselves. What, whatever is sold the best up until now, I mean, there's a reason for it. Um, you know, one of those reasons could be just spending more paid marketing dollars on it. Um, but, um, you know, depending on what the reasons are for, for it to be a bestseller, I think there's definitely merit in, in having it higher in your hierarchy. Yeah. I love that kind of building off of that, Sean, how do people need to be thinking? Cause one of the things that I know is a challenge is when you have, um, some fundamental shifts to the site, it can put off your returning customers, right? Because the patterns are different now. Like you put di- buttons in a different place. Like, damn it, I, I'm, I'm used to a certain flow and stuff like that. When you, when you have kind of some experiential changes to some, you know, let's just call it what it is, perhaps subpar flows that you've seen on clients' websites, how do you kind of mediate that where it's like, hey, you know, um, 
We don't want to piss off the people that are already giving us money. But to Ash's point, I want to scale to $40,000 a day instead of $20,000 a day in paid media. And if I'm using a subpar layout and experience, but my returning customers are used to it, how do you kind of uh, mitigate the kind of loss to the new customer or the returning customers, but also be able to, you know, um, promote this new experience to um, the prospective client? Does that make sense? No, it does. I think that the one thing to always keep in mind is that brand, like your brand ambassadors, your people, like your users that are already subscribers or people that are buying. I think once you have them through that, the sales funnel and, and the UX becomes so far down the totem pole of importance, just simply because they're really what you're selling them when they come to the site for someone that's never bought before is you're trying to get them to buy into the vision, right? Buy into the brand. And yeah, there's the little like nuances of the UX that are going to convert those little percentage points different, but you know, you're really trying to get them to believe in the brand. And I, I, in my experience, the people that are the brand believer, they're not going to drop off because of a shift in a button or the experience is maybe longer. I think once they're a consumer, that that conversion rate for that user is pretty easy to to just remain consistent regardless of what you do. Now, obviously, you can't just like totally fucking change the site and it's just unusable. But you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I think your experience should always be catering as much as possible to to those new users. And I think that, in, especially in your case, Ash, like where I'm guessing a lot of your traffic is being driven by paid media, um, you have to be careful with changing the site too much and then let's say that the campaigns you're running aren't changing, right? So we see a lot of a lot of audit customers, right? We'll say, hey, here's all the different things we think that could increase your conversion. And they'll just like, boom, change them all in a day. And, <laughs> and, it, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't change anything else about the traffic or the ad campaigns. Like you can't just change it all. You gotta, you should be doing this incrementally to make sure that, well, one, like if we knew that all 50 recommendations were going to increase conversion, we wouldn't be running audit. We'd have 25 D to C brands and we'd be billionaires. And two, two, <laughs> like if, if you implement them all at once, it's impossible to know what worked and what didn't. Right. Worked, because yeah. let's just say that we gave you 10 recommendations. Eight of them might have increased your conversion by a little bit. One of them might have done nothing. And one of them might have decreased it by, you know, a half point. So Correct. it's like, how do you identify that if you make all those changes at once? So I think that there's kind of a, if you follow that rule set of just saying, let's just keep making incremental changes and, and move the needle bit by bit, instead of trying to just say, Hey, let's, let's go for it and go for the like swing for the fences. I think that can end in disaster almost every time. And yeah, by doing those incremental changes, it, it, I guess, ensures that when you're running the same paid traffic, you're not screwing that traffic up. You can kind of watch from both ends and make sure that the conversions you know, doing what it needs to. So the one thing that I've always, and, and you, I don't know if there's a right way or wrong way of doing this, right? So my mentality when I was testing completely new landing pages, right? It wasn't just making tweaks to one. It was like, I need to make the big changes to see if I can make bigger swings, right? Mm -hmm. um, for example, I think our old, old landing page was converting at like a 2%, right? Um, and like trying to make changes to like get that from two to three was like almost impossible. Right. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what if the entire structure just needs to be revamped? So that's when we, you know, tested a whole di different themes. And one of the landing pages that we got was at around five to 6%. So it was like, all right, well we doubled a little bit more than doubled. Yeah. So my question to you is 
are there times where like you should go for those big changes to see if you can get those bigger swings or do you take what's like kind of working and just like incrementally you know kind of nitpicking at this stuff because like for me i feel like you go either way but like what if you just don't know if like one massive change could just change the whole trajectory of it you know what i mean yeah yeah i think that can I, if can i say it a different way yeah because i course. love what you're saying but you were using a lot of words like transformative versus iterative yeah 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 no That's and i cool think <laughs> Thanks, <Robert>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think when you're when you're driving traffic to multiple landing pages and, and you're seeing these two totally different layouts and, and flows of information operating at two totally different conversion rates, I think to me, that's enough information to say, okay, we can effectively make pretty drastic changes because we've seen what works and what doesn't. I think that's a little different. Um, and honestly, I like we had uh, we had Nick uh, Sharma on our uh, audit club on Thursday or Wednesday. And one of the things that he said that he does when he launch, when enter, whenever he's dealing with new brands, which I, I don't know why I never thought of this this way, because I used to run an agency and we should have been doing this. But he just said, like, instead of hiring design agencies in the beginning, he would launch the brands under just various Shogun pages that he built himself. And he wouldn't actually put any money into the website at all, not a single dime. Completely launch the brands using Shogun templates figure out which one, you know, out of let's three, say three or four is converting the highest. And then he hands that to a design agency and says, you know, apply all the beautiful shit you want to apply to it, put it on brand. Mm. But this flow of information, these details are what are converting. So don't fuck with it. Yes. And to me, that saves brands so much money because all every yeah. day, all we deal with is these brands, you know, all of them, a lot of our customers have some great success, but they're, 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 figuring out their conversion rate a year, two, three, five years into their business, they could have done it up front. I mean, obviously it's a little bit longer path and you got to, you kind of move some levers around. But to me, that, that process of doing those landing pages like up front and just saying, look, let's just see what, what people think and, and make those drastic changes right off the beginning. Don't make any assumptions. I mean, to me, that's, it's such a huge shift in, in how to launch a brand online. No, I'm like I'm the same page there because I uh, very similar to what we did was um, I like I took my time and I built stuff out on Shogun, right? We have in-house designer, we have a developer, everything, but like I can't tell them to go and make this because it's gonna take thirty days yeah. to knock out four pages, right? Where I can sit down one day, just get zoned in and knock them out, then see what works, right? So when I made those four and the one was a clear winner, then I go and take that to um, my other founder, Ankit, who's the, the main you know designer and everything now make this look better right yeah now he's going to take that give it to the developer now hard code it instead of using shogun so that one it looks better two site speed is probably fixed because like yeah. shogun slow shit yeah now you're kind of like all right well here's the winner let's let's polish it up now so i think i think that's it, it, it makes sense fully I'm, yeah and i've and, never and... go sorry, ahead sean sorry no i was just gonna say and and I, it I hate to admit it, but like as a, as a, you know, previous design firm owner and then with audit with a lot of what we're known for is the aesthetics of it. Like those aesthetics, they're, they're literally just the lipstick. Like there's very few parts of that that are affecting your short-term conversion in terms of like long-term value and like keeping customers bought into the brand. Sure. They're extremely important and very few brands last that don't have those consistencies built across their aesthetic, but in terms of just discovering that 
that solid conversion rate and building up your, your, you know, your brand in that foundational moment, the aesthetics aren't as important. It, it really is about just discovering what works for your products. Yeah. To build on top of that, that is really shout out Nick Sharma, big fan of his. Um, it's a really interesting hierarchy to kind of work through, or if you will, like an order of operations, because I think what you're doing there is one, not only are you um, figuring out kind of, I love how you put it, Sean, the information flow, but you're also essentially really testing product market fit because you're not being able to goose it up, right? Like this is just a foundational product and you're buying it for the product, not the marketing. And so there's also, mm-hmm. I think, some really interesting tests there. But the also to your point, Sean, which I found really fascinating is I used to worship at the altar of aesthetics as well. And then you get into kind of proper marketing. You're like, dude, I just want what converts. I don't care if it's ugly or not. Just give me like, I, I don't care. Like what converts is pretty to me. That's what drives aesthetic. Yeah. But um, it's really interesting because there's twofold. One, I do believe the aesthetic does need to increase because of the brand perception but the other thing there is that might help retention, but sometimes it cock blocks acquisition because I've seen aesthetic get in the way of conversion. Have you seen that mm-hmm. sometimes where people go overboard and like, this is the most beautiful site ever, but I have no clue where to click. I don't know how to buy the product. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going Like This is a magazine. This is an art piece. This isn't yeah. a conversion piece. Have you ran into that as well? Oh, yeah. It, it, I mean, a, a lot of fashion brands do this, right, where they're so committed to aesthetics that that they're just killing their conversion. Um, we actually just hired a, a, one of the one of the lead designers um, at Aritzia, which is like a big fashion brand. And um, it, it, you know that's one of the one of her mandates was just like to pull that back and just figure out like how do we meet in the middle of of the aesthetics and and maintain that brand aesthetic while not killing conversion. And there's certain there's certain brands that get away with it. Um, like we dealt we did with one uh, at Audit. And I won't say the name, but, you know, they, their homepage was just a video. That was the whole page. There was no footer, no logo. No, it was just a video of like 10 super celebrities in a, in a looping video of wearing their jeans. Right. And you just click on that video and then you're shopping these jeans and their conversion was fine. Like, right. Totally abnormal experience, but they got away with the fact that people are just like, Oh, Mariah Carey's wearing it. So I have to buy it. I'm, I'll do, I'll do fucking anything. I don't care where the button is. I don't care. Yep. They just want to buy it. So, you know, there's anomalies like that. They can get away with that crap, but for the most part, yeah, it's, it's the aesthetics aren't really driving conversion. They're driving long-term brand loyalty in a lot of cases, yes. but even then it, it, it's only if you execute all the details, right? The aesthetics won't do it all. It's, it's storytelling and, you know, all these other factors that play into that bucket. Um, you really have to nail all of them. Yeah, and just to kind of round out this point, the one vertical, to be fair, I have seen it work in, a, basically to your point of what you are just describing, Sean, is high fashion, where it's like, yeah. I don't give a fuck. Like, if I have to run through a, a prickly bush, I'm going to buy these jeans or shoes or whatever, because yeah. uh, it, it, and in a weird way, it almost, like, enhances the experience because it makes it more scarce like i had to work harder for this it's like a yeah. weird ikea effect it's like again i would not suggest this for 99 percent of people but <laughs> there I, there's some weird brands that like make you work for it where they'll run like i've seen luxury like high, again i'm talking like super high-end luxury um and they'll run ads without ctas and stuff and you're like yeah what the hell is going on here and then i have to google it and then i have to find it and then i have to buy it i'm like 
there's no way this is by design, but it is in some weird, I mean, maybe not, maybe, maybe that's just a perversion of it, but, um, yeah, it, it's really interesting in that sense, um, where, uh, it had this really odd effect of like, it, 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 it introduces even more scarcity, which is again, what's driving the value and especially high fashion, because it's not a utilitarian buy like this, a Birkin bag is no better than a $5,000 coach bag. It, it is what it is. It's just an Hermes bag. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now. And so, um, it's just total scarcity, but, um, okay. Pivoting off of that. One of the things that blew off, blew my mind when you guys did the audit, when I ran my old agency was, um, the way you saw desktop to mobile, are you guys looking at that Ash in terms of how your splits look and how those experiences look? Cause that was one of the craziest things that audit came back to me with was like, Hey, one, your mobile, this is how much people are on mobile or shopping. This is desktop. And then look at your, like our desktop experience wasn't horrid. It was okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe above. Okay. But mobile was absolutely atrocious. And that was the majority of where we we're getting all our traffic. And so are you guys yeah. thinking about that in terms of how people are experiencing it on, on both kind of, um, mediums? Yeah. So, I mean, the obvious is that the most of the traffic is, is mobile, right? Mobile. Um, when we design uh, landing pages or even like um, external agencies that have designed for us, we'll always ask for mobile first before they design desktop. Um, yeah. that, I mean, it just makes sense that way because it's like, all right, fine, desktop is whatever. Like, It's literally like 10% of the traffic. And a majority of the time, it's probably returning customers. It's barely new. Oh, so that's, that's what I've noticed. That's that's the other thing. So mobile, it's like all, right, all of our ads are running mobile feed, TikTok. This, it's rarely desktop. So it's like just like we start mobile first to, mm -hmm. to basically answer that. And then you kind of expand out to I think tablet and then and then desktop yeah. as well. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly how you should be approaching it. I think the... The main thing that we've been seeing, and to be totally frank, like we don't dive into a ton of our customers' data, but the, the one thing that we do see very consistently is whatever your, let's just say that, like you said, Ash, 90% of your traffic is coming on mobile, there's a higher percent of conversions on desktop. So what I mean by that is if 90% of your traffic is mobile, so 10% of traffic is desktop, 20% of the actual sales that you make are on desktop. So you get a lot of people coming in through mobile and they either get hung up or they save it for later and then they go in and they buy on desktop because they're just more, I don't know, it's like a mental thing of like pulling out your credit card on desktop or using a yeah. phone. Yeah. So yeah. It, it is one of those things where it's like we always tell our customers like don't just look at traffic because look at your actual conversions. Like what did they buy on? Because in a lot of cases, in at least almost every case of our customers, their conversion of actual like purchases is, is a little higher than their traffic desktop to mobile. Um, so it, it is, it does become more important, but I mean, you're bang on like most, most brands are, are driving paid traffic, paid traffic's being surfaced on a mobile device. So that's how they're coming through. Yeah. No, sometimes like when we go through, I guess, getting audits from like random agencies, right? And then they come back to us about like our desktop. They're focusing on desktop only. It's like, it's like kind of like a red flag because it's like, well, that's not where the traffic's coming from, right? So, but yeah. fully, fully agreed, right? You have to have all aspects kind of sorted out because I mean, I'm like that. How you said, see something on my phone, and then when I'm working, right? I'm at the office. I'm literally on the computer. That's where I kind of finish that research and then decide if I want to buy. Yeah. Um, 
So I'll uh, be hard, totally. hard at work while you're, you're getting paid to make purchases. <laughs> Get out of Ron. Are you listening I, here, Ron? <laughs> don't tell Ron. <laughs> but you're, you're, you're totally right with like, I, I think as a, as a previous like design agency owner, like I, our team always, no matter what the client was, no matter what their focus was, we always pitched desktop first and it was completely selfish, right? Because it's easier to show fidelity. It's easier to, it's sexier, right? It's like showing a thumbnail versus like a big canvas. Like it's just sexier. Mm -hmm. And to your point, like it's completely ineffective. And it's part of the reason why I'm not running a design agency anymore is because it was just, (laughs) it was all smoke and mirrors. Like we were never implementing for customers on a basis where we're actually paying attention to things like conversion. It was just like, what's sexy, what's going to win an award for our agency. And, you know, that was it. That was really all that it came down to. So I totally understand that. Let's dive into some PDPs, Sean. When you think of like kind of like an information hierarchy, um, thumbnails, like what are you thinking about there? Like what's like free shipping? Like how are you trying to reduce the cognitive load? Like what are you thinking? Or, or just give me your headspace when you, you go to Ash's site and say, hey, cool, this is an amazing PDP, but how can I improve it or how could I not improve it? Like what would you be thinking about there for our clients? Yeah, one of the things that we started doing recently because there's just so many there's so many different variations of, of flows and content hierarchies on PDPs is we actually started working with um, a company called splittesting.com. And basically Dylan and his team are like constantly running split tests for all their clients. Yeah. And he kind of basically just downloads to our team, hey, here's the things we found this week that are like, they win every test, no matter what. And a lot of the times what's interesting is they're new things. It's not like shit that we're used to doing. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've been actually testing a lot of new stuff with PDPs. Um, one of them that we've been recommending a lot to test, not to just do, is to like completely remove quantity selectors and put them only in your cart. So you don't actually give the option of adding multiple units. And then as an alternate test, um, replacing that completely with actual buy boxes for multiples. So buy one unit, two units, say 5%, three units, and they're actual like variant options. That's another test we've been doing. And then the one that Dylan came back with last week that was kind of mind blowing to me. And I now, ever since he saw it, I feel like it's following me around the internet because I keep seeing it is moving variant selectors below the add to cart. So there's no information. It's just add to cart and then like subscribe and save single purchase or quantity is below the add to cart, which as a designer, I'm like, I, it's just like, it's total sin. But yeah, I'm like, what am I going to, I can't argue with it. It's working. And now ever since he said it, I can't fucking get away from it. I see it everywhere. And so now I'm like, I'm not, we're not recommending it yet. Cause I still want to see more data on it, but it's super interesting to me. Like some of the things that are working and aren't working. So I, I think the biggest advice I can give on PDPs is just like, man, test the shit out of all those little details because quantity selector, you know, placement of add to car versus variance, all these little things like split testing those. I mean, you can really dial it in. Of It's obviously different things work for different products and different price points, but man, there's, there's so many different options. So how do you guys prioritize like the PDP? Like, do you guys want to have the CTA above the fold? Does it matter if it's slightly below? Do you want to have information like at the top? So people kind of 
go through the flow of like learning? Like what it like what do you think is the best way to kind of go about that? Man, because of our because of my background in particular, um, being a, a, most of it with brand building and and like kind of end to end product launching, I, I really start from the really foundational level of like what is the product. So like as an example, um, you know if if my customer is selling a plain white cotton tee, right? There's nothing special about it. There's nothing unique about it. There's no like, you know, it, it's, there's no, it's not like blessed with holy water. There's not like all this shit they need to explain. It's just a, a medium white tea. Put, put that add to cart button in the fucking head. Like first thing on the page, like there's not much I need to tell them in order to get them to buy it aside from pick a size. Right. And, the, and that price point is probably, you know, 15 bucks. If the, the more information that's required to understand your product, the lower your add to cart's just going to have to be. And it, it also depends on where your traffic's coming from, right? If they're landing on the PDP from an ad, you're going to have to give them a little more info. If they're landing on the PDP from your homepage, which told them an entire story, you probably have to give them a little less info. And that's where it becomes tricky, right? Because there's not many brands that are pushing two different PDPs depending where you came from. Right. It's very, it's very rare. Um, and and it, it really should be done a lot more, in my opinion, because the information that a user has when they come in is very different depending on where they came from. Um, so like at, to use your product as an example, I mean, there's, let's just say that we're shopping collagen. There's going to be users that come in from an ad educating them about collagen as an example. They probably don't need to be told what the hell the collagen is going to do for them. But if someone comes in cold searching for collagen for the first time on Google and they find my obvi and they are, they find obvi and then they land on a PDP first, I kind of want to educate them a little bit on collagen. So that's not an easy task. Like that's not an easy solve, but I'm the point I'm trying to make is like, it's so dependent on the product, the price point, how hard it is to understand the products. Like I, I was auditing a site this morning. Product's amazing. Um, it, it's a basically like an easy bake oven for adults. Um, you, you have a food subscription. This is that oven, not an air fryer? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought when I first looked. But you literally take you take these food thing, like the the packs that they send you. You scan it on the oven, and then you pop it in, and it does everything. It just it just scans the QR and sets all the settings and everything. And they have like wow hun- hundreds of meals, and then it also syncs with thousands of SKUs from grocery stores. So you pull in your whatever from whatever like whatever brand, like five hundred different brands. You scan it, and it just sets it all up and does it for you. So, anyways. The, the problem with this product and why the sales funnel is so long and the PDP is so long is because you're selling a smart oven and then you're also selling a food subscription and you got to communicate what types of menu items there are. How often do I get them delivered? Who loves it? Why do they love it? Is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Like there, there's so many facets to communicating that. And so a P, there, there isn't even a PDP. It's like a lander and then an add to car, right? It, it, so there's just so many different scenarios. And so... My best advice, long story short, is to really start at that foundational level of like, what do we make and, and how are we selling it? Is it, you know, some products you can't elevator pitch. It's just not possible. It, it takes more explanation and, and you shouldn't treat your PDP that way because in most cases, your PDP is the elevator pitch, right? It's yeah. name, little social proof, how much does it cost, two bullet points, put it in my cart. Right. And that that works for a ton of products, but it work, doesn't work for a ton of products either. So like for for those products where you do have to have that like education, right, 
is it I know that what we've tried to do in the past is like have like a sticky add to cart, right? So as you're learning and you kind of, okay, well, I'm sold at this point. All right, boom, add to cart. Or even like yeah. on our landing page, we'll kind of sprinkle the CTAs throughout. So it's not like you're hard selling, but it's like, all right, if you're okay at this, like you're ready to buy here, at least have the option to be like, all right, well, buy now and it'll take you to the buy box or whatever it is that you're yeah. on. Yeah. Um, what are, is that do you think that's too much or is that like is it too salesy like i, I don't know I, i've seen i've seen some people that are like okay well we only have one cta right and like i've seen pages where like it's sprinkled throughout or like you don't even see a cta until you read through the whole thing yeah i i think it the approach you're taking where you you have let's say varying content blocks on a lander and multiple exit points i think is right and in 99% of cases it's probably right I think that what that does, and, and we do this with a lot of landing pages when we're auditing them, is let's just say that on your homepage, the customer's talking about, or sorry, the brand's talking about, you know, how it works or what makes it great, the composition of the product. And what they end up doing is they use the CTA to say, learn more, right? And it takes them to another page that's not the PDP. And while that in certain product categories can make sense, all you're doing is giving yourself an excuse to not explain it properly on the homepage, right? There is very few things about very few products that you can't explain in a headline and a sentence below it or a few bullet points. And as soon as you say, okay, I'm going to put a headline, a couple bullets, and then I'll learn more to a big fucking blog post about collagen. All it's telling me is that you weren't able to fig- like elevator pitch me on it. And it's just instantly, for me, that's lowering your conversion instantly because I'm not taking them to the PDP for one to shop the product. And now I'm also just making their funnel longer, which is, you know, in some cases works because you're educating, but in a lot of cases it doesn't. So long story short, I think having those CTAs throughout that lander is important. And just being mindful that majority of them need to be pushing to actual product purchasing, not more education, like a learn more page of some certain element. Um, In the PDP with sticky add to carts, I love them. Um, We've seen a lot of them work. I think where they fall short and where they don't work is when you make them compete with a more standard add to cart. So what I mean by that is I land on the page and the first thing I see is product image and a sticky add to cart. To me, that's where we see the conversion drop. So our advice is just simply because we see higher conversion on the, on the more native one. So our advice is always let them scroll, discover the add to cart where you have it on the page. As soon as that add to cart is off frame, then the sticky pops in. That's the biggest piece of advice I can give on that is it should not be visible until they're past the original, like the more natural one. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And for everybody listening, sorry, I hate acronyms. Uh, PDP's product detail page is basically just a product page. That's how Shopify refers to the product page. So sorry if you guys were lost there. Um, Now that's super fascinating. I never thought about that. Okay, give us some tips, Sean, on collection pages. What what should people be doing on their collection pages? So those can be really, I actually had some really crazy conversion with collection pages, but it could also be, um, again, more of the people will just go and a bit of a flow where people, returning people just come, they click this and they know what they want. And so that why that's why they're converting. But our, how, I guess two questions. What are some tips for collection pages? And two, how important are collection pages to really... Um, Uh, focus on i think for most brands um like obby being one of them i think 
depending on your catalog size, it, it's it's super important. I think one of the major things that a lot of brands miss is the second that you're in a specific category, right? So let's just say on Obvi, I click on collagen. It not offering the ability to filter and change what I'm looking at, right? A lot of brands, they, they have their collection page that shows all products and you can kind of filter and select which ones. But once you land on an actual specific category or a specific collection, they make it actually a little bit harder to filter. So I think that's one fault that a lot of brands have is they're not allowing enough like versatility within the, I guess, collections ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that we see um, that works really well is just always, you know, never showing one product at a time. So when you're on mobile and you're scrolling through products, just always make sure that it's two by two. The, the reason this reason the the reason that this works and there's multiple reasons that i love it is one you're letting users see in a lot of cases the entire product card at once a lot of brands struggle to format their content in a way that they fit the image the headline the reviews the price the you know all their info on a single screen view this kind of forces you to have to do that because you're putting them two by two so not only does it force you to have to show an entire I guess, product information set in one view, but it also forces you to like hone in on what are the most important things, right? Which is another fault of a lot of brands. They put too much information on the product collection page. Your your collection page is really meant to just be kind of that exploration to make sure users can like pick where they want to go. You don't want people shopping from here. In a lot of cases, add to cart is killing conversion from here. We've seen it work, but most cases, except for anomalies, add to cart should only be happening on landing pages and, and product pages. Um, so by shrinking those down to, yeah, I, like I said, some brands, it works. Um, like, cause we actually, instance, we actually got some data backs at least for ours. Right. And, yeah. and I think the reason why this is happening is because like, again, a lot of our traffic is going to landing pages. Right. And then mm-hmm. they either buy there or they go to the homepage and they're searching around, whatever the conversion rate from our collection page was higher than the conversion rate from the product page, yep. which is why we just did an overhaul on the collection page. Cause like right now it's like out of the box, like picture price reviews add to cart. It looks like yep. shit to be honest. Um, we redesigned the whole thing where now we added some of the stuff that you were talking about, like filtering, um, shopping by the categories, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I was just, I, and I don't know. I, I, I to me, I feel like, it's it's probably the brands that are pushing to a landing page that will educate and then be able to buy from that page but then also people will drop off and then they go you know search for the collection whatever it is and they're ready to buy from there so i'm just I'm, I'm just something that we saw on our end um that having that add to cart there like actually was better than the the, the pdp yes yeah and and it it, it's not the same across all brands, definitely. Like, especially with the one like yours, where the products are most of your products, the the product category is something people are familiar with, right? So that also has right. an effect on it. They're yeah. they're coming in and they're saying, okay, well, like, I don't really need to dive deep on the every particle of this product. I've either bought it. I know what college it is. I'm just exactly. gonna pick the flavor. Yeah, yeah. So it 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 becomes a little easier to add to cart wherever the hell it surfaced. Um, so it, yeah, it, it, I could definitely see that being the case. Um, and again, like to your point, it depends on if they came right from an ad, right from a landing page. Um, there's so many different uh, angles to that. I think that, excuse me, one of the other things that we see 
and, and I like to see on, on, on collections pages is just getting people to the products ASAP. Like you do a yeah. good job on, on your site. Like so many brands, they try and treat it too much like a landing page. And there are certain scenarios where it's like, maybe you're launching a new product line or a new product that needs explanation. And that collection page needs to have a little more storytelling or education. And, and, and it, I think in those scenarios, it makes sense. But I think it, it's really important that when users click to shop all or shop collagen or shop a category that they're seeing products when they land there, whether it's right at the very top or, you know, halfway is not the end of the world, but they need to see products when they land. there, not a big headline. Um, so I think that's one of the big things. And then also just providing additional info. Like I think there's, there's certain um, collections pages that just have too much, like there's too many products and it becomes hard to actually navigate. Like yeah. what am I, where am I, what am I looking for? Um, so I, I think there's a few brands out there that do a really great job of like segregating these um, into separate categories as you flow instead of just throwing them all in there <laughs> and letting the sure. user kind of find their way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant stuff. That, that's exactly when I was running my agency, what we found was that uh, the collections pages were just get out of people's way. Give them, give them kind of the biggest high note type of info but make it clean and like get it like for example like ash does a really great job where um it's an instant add to cart where you just hover and boom i don't even need to go to the pdp like i know i want it. Yeah. let's go like it's just it's fantastic i love it all right folks so i made an egregious error um we actually didn't talk about the most important <laughs> thing that it comes to or one of the most value value driving um vectors i guess if you will for um, a site's performance and conversion um site speed so why don't we jump into that so I have questions for, for you. Yeah. Um, so this whole time we've been on, you know, like Shopify, right? Um, good and bad pros and cons, right? Um, 1.0, I guess is the way we're going to call it. How is, you know, how important is it to upgrade to that 2.0? Um, and if not 2.0, how is headless? You know, how, how, how are those themes kind of, you know, in the conversation right now regarding uh, site speed? I think that what we've seen is going to 2.0. If you if you go through the proper channels and don't just hack it together, I think it can be really positive. Same with headless um, site speed. Unfortunately, if you're just at the mercy of Shopify and their applications and plugins and shit like that, your site speed is going to suck. If you have a talented development team helping you implement everything, you're going to be a lot better off. I think that what we see for the most part across any store on any platform. That's, that's just dragging their site speed down is they test out applications or plugins constantly. They don't yeah. keep a lot of them, but the old code is just sitting there and it's just bogging the site down. And they, most people don't know how to get rid of it. I don't even know how to personally get rid of it. Right. We have our team do it, but like it, it's bogging down the site and it's slowing it down. And so like deleting those, making sure they're not just like, Oh, turned on off kind of thing and actually deleting them from the theme are the most important thing, regardless of which version you're on, cutting out that bullshit and then image weight, image weight, video weight, that um, shit just, especially for like a brand like yours, Ash, that has a lot of products, like it can really crush things. Yeah. No, even our nav was like so image focused that that itself was taking eight seconds to load. And so our dev had to go in and do, yeah, it was, it was stupid. Um, literally, but saved it by just adding lazy load. Right. So it's yeah. like yeah. it loads in like one second now, but then when you actually click it, then that's when it loads. So like these small things can like, 
just make such a difference, right? I mean, uh, Sean, like in your opinion, site speed, how does that in general affect conversion rate? It To me, it's the reason we don't sell it super hard is because it's really hard to do, to be totally frank with you. But it's the most important. Like by far and away, your site can be a complete and total turd. Your brand can suck. If your site speed is good, you are going to have a good conversion. And it's funny, so many brands, they're, they just don't give a shit about it because you can't see it. it yeah. It's it, it's just like like I was saying with the agencies, right? They want it to look sexy and, and then brands buy in. And it's like this, you're just, they're so into aesthetics. And when someone goes and spends 10 grand to increase their site speed, the only thing that changes is the site speed. There's no different visual. There's, it looks identical, right? And founders have a tough time with that. Or everyone has a tough time. You, you want to see something change when you spend that much money. But, and, and a lot of them are just really... I guess, blind to the fact that it's affecting things and they don't want to, they don't want to admit it because they click on the site and they're like, Oh man, it's not that slow. What they don't realize is that, is that like most people that are using your site are on a shitty 3g connection yes. or like, who knows, right? Like every connection is different. And I can't remember the exact number, but it's like every extra second it takes to load your conversion drops 8%. So like, fucking moving from an eight to a four, for instance, in your case, Ash, like that has a crazy effect on conversion just because in mo like in those cases where it's really slow on lower internet connections, like shitty internet connections, they're not just not having a good experience. They're not ever seeing your site because they're sitting yeah. there for four seconds, five seconds. And then they're just like, fuck this. And they swipe the, the window away. Yeah. yeah. They don't even, they've never even seen your logo before. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny you say that too, because I, I always had that issue. One, it's very uh, astute to say that it's just hard. Um, so it's easier to just not bring it up because it is very hard to, to, and sometimes you have to get into some architectural stuff and like it just gets really, really gnarly. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, uh, it's the exact same thing. There was a funny, uh, back in the day, the president of Egypt was getting in, like Cairo has some of the most notoriously bad traffic. And uh, people would tell him about it. They're like, what are you talking about? I never hit traffic. It's <laughs> because everybody clears the streets for him. And it reminds me of the founder on just super <laughs> screaming Google Fiber. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. This site's Gigabit super snappy connection. for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 The this, this site's super snappy for me. So it's like, what did I pay you all this money for? I did, that's not any faster. But um, uh, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about site speed. Site speed, super important. Um, figure it out if you can. Um, definitely some easy wins, though, are, like you said, Sean, right? Like, or, and to your point, Ash, too, lazy loading, like how you load the site, um, and then just making the assets yep. lighter weight where you don't need to have, you know, 10 megabyte kind of pictures loading up. Like, you can definitely compress those down, and that can be some kind of easier wins versus having to really dig deep and re-architecture the site but um yeah. to sean's point as well it's super super important so make sure you do that sean you made it through a whole episode of ad spend my man my favorite canadian you, you gotta love it tell the people how to find what's this audit club too i didn't know you had this thing what's going on you got to tell me these things we'll, we'll promote you on the on the yeah, web so app. let's go sorry yeah it we launched it about uh six weeks ago it's basically a it's a private slack community um we've got a ton of different founders in there. We, we only un, unlocked a hundred spots to start. We just kind of admittedly had never run one before and we wanted to work out the kinks. So we, uh, we sold a hundred spots and we just started opening up more. Um, it's been really great. We do, I mean, there's a ton of different channels from paid media to like kind of everything. 
we've got experts in every field um, kind of in there answering questions and, and whatnot. And then every week we also do, uh, I do live teardown. So you come into a live Zoom and oh, submit your domain. And then, and then I, no holds barred, rip down your site. Um, and then once a month we, we have some guests. So like Nick Sharma was on last week. Um, lots of different people coming in. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, you can just go to our site, click on audit club, audit.co, and then click on audit club and sign up. It's uh, I think we're still running our introductory rate. I think it's 50 bucks a month. Um, and you steal. also get a ton of cool discounts. Like we have a partnership with Junip. We have a partnership with Triple Whale. Um, yeah. So if you're just looking to save a bunch of money on all your apps, you can also just sign up and never come to the club. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible, man. Congrats. That's what's up. It was funny because Ash was very Yeah, Ash was very prophetic where he called kind of the death of the Facebook group. It's almost like the death of Autotune. Um, he <laughs> called that a few weeks ago and it's been uh, I've just been cuz we have we have something similar-ish, not not as fancy as yours, but we have Narwhal Nation um, that we do yep. that Slack group in and people love it. It's over 700 people and I think there's just um, I don't know. Ash was spot on where I just, I've been getting way more value from Slack groups these days than Facebook groups. It yeah. feels just, uh, just a little kludgy, a little gross. A lot of brands still yeah. have great Facebook groups. Shout out to Avi. You're always the talk of the town. At yeah. Keep I was going to say it depends, it depends, <laughs> it depends on depend, the vertical. It, it depends <laughs> on the vertical for sure. Yeah. You're always the talk of the town when it comes to community, but Sean, dude, thanks so much for having us. Uh, drop the people. What's your handle? How can people follow you on the Twitters? Uh, my handle is Brandify, B-R-A-N-D-T-I-F-Y, and then Audit is just Audit Co. or Audit. I actually don't know. Oh, beautiful. Audit is... Doesn't even know the own handle. That's how big even, league this even... guy is. This is, this is sorry, how big league this it's guy audit. is. It's Audit is the Audit one. Sorry. I was, I, both of them are wrong. Still one of my favorite brand names. Ash, tell where the people to follow you. What is it? Vitamin Shop. Where are they supposed to be buying it from? Send vitamin send them a picture. Shop. Yeah, let the people know. Go to your local Vitamin Shop. Take a picture. Tweet it at me, please, please, please. Um, but other than that, follow me on Twitter, Ashman Maloney. Um, really close to 10k soon, hopefully. So drop a Let's follow. Let's get them please. there. Let's get them there, people. We'll Ash, do a little this, something special. <laughs> this fruity cereal with the super. I don't even take collagen, but this fruity cereal collagen looks amazing. Oh, I might have to buy some. This looks Top incredible. seller, man. Stop. Is I'll it? send you some. Top seller, you though. Fruity cereal. We, we literally <laughs> sold out. I don't even want to get into like the media buying stuff of it, but like we just sold out because like TikTok went crazy. Um, and we literally, like, we have nothing left. Like, everything's at Vitamin Shop. So, like, we so had to bring back. Me TikTok is a viable flavors. media buying channel. Zing. I didn't say yeah. it. I didn't say it. Hey, we're being good. <laughs> we're, being, we're being good people here. <laughs> I love you, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> much respect, much respect. But yeah, man, I'm um, vitamin shop. Please check it out. If cool. You, Let's get him to 10K. Take some vitamin shop stuff. Go get an audit so you can start printing more money. Join Audit Club. Is it so? There's spots open now, Sean. People can still join. It is. Yeah, we're open. Open it up until we hit 250, which we're getting close to. So get in there. Get in yeah. there. Get yeah. in there now. We'll it's amazing. Sean's one of my favorite humans. Thanks, Sean, for the, the quick turnaround. Thank you for taking Cody's yeah, place. Cody is irreplaceable, but, you know, he's he's <laughs> taking the wife to the beach, so you can't you can't hate him on that, and he's been posting some really cool pictures, and um, I guess he's playing some decent golf. So we love you, Cody. We'll have him back next week. But that's yeah, it for sure. us, folks. And I got you out, Ash. Hard stop at five. Boom. Done. Did it. Look at that. That's a that's the pro move over here, people. I can run a clock. Um, Sean, again, thank you so much from the Great White North. Hey, you're coming to Austin for the Whaley's, right? 
September. Of course. Don't. Yeah, can't oh, wait. Oh my god, it's gonna be a rager. Can't wait. It's gonna be a rager. What? Oh, you know what we should do? Oh, maybe you'll present an award, like a conversion, some kind of a conversion award. You've been to that. Whatever right? you want, man. I'm there. Yeah. Oh, that's rage. It's gonna be so fun. I can't wait, um, folks. If you want to get more involved with Triple Oil, it's trytriplewell.com. We also have a fabulous newsletter called Whale Mail that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday, and you can sign up right on our Twitter profile at Triple Whale. That's it, folks. Thanks for sharing a Friday with us, and uh, we'll see everyone on the flip. Bye.